Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on when you listen to the podcast. The podcast is available on iTunes and Spotify. I'm Jan Orkut, along with Sherry Dodderer, an occupational therapist and dysgraphia expert. Welcome to The Writing Glitch, Dysgraphia Discussions, episode 004, where we hack dysgraphia one discussion at a time. Today, we are interviewing Jennifer Porter. She is the mom of five children. Their disabilities include Down syndrome, ADHD, and dysgraphia. Jen is also a special education teacher. Her specialty is the autism classroom. I am so interested in learning how dysgraphia impacts students with autism. Before we say hi to Jen, I want to ask Sherry, how are you today, really? Today has been an absolutely crazy day. I applied for a grant at Penn State University. So getting all of that stuff together has given me a migraine today. I'm going to be as cheerful as possible and still be with you today. So there is the really behind it. And how about you, Jen? How are you today? Really? I am excited to be here. I've been dealing with post-concussion syndrome, so it's been really hard for me to work lately. And I also have a migraine and we just finished with our oldest daughter's social worker like five minutes before I had to be here. Yeah, I'm also feeling a little bit like crunch time rush adrenaline still pumping here. I'm overall excited and happy to be here. Jen, have you ever had anyone ask you that question and add really to it? Like, how are you doing in the really? I have, but only from people who cared. As I taught my students saying, I'm good, I'm great, I'm fine. That's the expected behavior in passing as a greeting. And people don't expect you to tell the truth in passing. But when they give you more eye contact and they stop and they lean in and touch you or they say, really, it is a sign that they actually want to know the answer to that question the real answer to that question and the truthful answer, maybe have a conversation about it. So in passing and conversation are two different things. And that is something I definitely had to teach my kids because they wanted to be honest. (laughs) And they also didn't understand that sometimes people ask a question, but they don't really want to know the answer and they don't really want a conversation. So true. Jan, (laughs) how are you? Really, I'm a little frazzled, but I'm calming down, being happy to be here. But I ran into a huge traffic jam on the way, and I'm still recovering from oral surgery, which was last Friday. Thanks for asking. You're welcome. We met online about five years ago and really have worked together every Saturday, minus holidays and family events, to really help each other publish books and publish courses and just get to know one another. We've had so many in-depth conversations about dysgraphia and autism, ADHD, and other events and special education. Many of them revolved around your daughter who's now in college. Can you tell us some of the emotions that you have felt raising her over the years? The daughter in question for the audience members is now, let's see, 25 years old. She has three kids of her own. She's been through a lot. And she was diagnosed with severe anxiety disorder as a child when she was about eight years old. 
that was around the same time I started teaching. I had already been teaching for a year or two when she was diagnosed, but she was really struggling as a child. And it looked to me like ADHD. She was just not paying attention in class, stuffing her homework in her desk, even though it was done, she would just stuff it in her desk along with all the socks that she wore during the day. She picked up every shiny object she could find. She wasn't thriving in school very much. When we got the anxiety disorder diagnosis, it was worrisome. It was good to have a diagnosis. It was good to understand what her symptoms were coming from and to be able to deal with some of that. I wish that I had known a little bit more about dysgraphia and dyslexia before I met you, Sherry. (laughs) As a teacher, they teach you a little bit about dysgraphia and dyslexia and other disabilities like ADHD. You get very shallow overview. And so when you get students who have those disabilities, you tend to do a little more research into it because you get a student like that. But when you're a parent, you don't have a clue <laughs> that your kid has something other than what the doctor said they had. And I believe, and she now believes also that she has both dyslexia and dysgraphia. It is because I met Sherry, there's just so much going on there that was missed because the symptoms could be dismissed based on her other diagnosis. We thought that her problems with writing and focus was from the anxiety. But as it turns out, there was more than just anxiety going on there. I really wish that I'd known Sherry sooner so that I could have pinpointed some of this because I have a lot of grief now. She struggles so much and it's not too late to help her. But if she had been helped sooner, her whole class could have benefited from those interventions. And I, as a teacher of 20 plus years now, have seen how one tiny little change in the way a teacher does something can cause an enormous amount of change for the good or the bad. It's very important for teachers to pay attention to how they're presenting things and the interventions that they're using. But adding that one intervention could have benefited her whole class, but it really could have changed her whole life from that point forward. It could have removed so many struggles for her, or at least given her tools to deal with them that would have worked better than what she had. So when I look back, I still have a lot of sadness that I didn't know more. Totally understand that, Sherry. You did it again. You asked our guest specifically about her emotions and feelings. Why? Emotions and feelings are the core of how we learn. And One of the things that parents need to realize is that negative emotions get piled on these kids so hard that there is no way to break through and be able to engage in learning. Kids can sense when parents are frustrated. Kids can sense when the teacher is frustrated. They don't know how to process it because their brains just aren't developed enough to understand that. As Jen mentioned in what she said, it took her daughter until she was an adult to really be able to make those connections. Now that she has three children of her own, we're watching this next generation come up through because Jen and her daughter have had this experience. They're able to identify these subtle moments in Jen's grandchildren's day that 
was unable to be detected when Jen was going through it initially. Experience has been a benefit. I hear Jen talk, and all I can think about is the stuff that I've been going through with my daughter. Our daughters are about the same age, and both have had an anxiety disorder, both had trouble with spelling. Her daughter has three kids now, mine does not. Mine is struggling to write her thesis in grad school. When I look at the definition of dysgraphia, according to the DSM-5, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Health Disorders, I have to slow down to say it because I can never get it out correctly. When I look at that definition, part of the definition says activity demands have exceeded the student's capacity. For my daughter, we're at that point and she doesn't see it. I look at what Jen has gone through and I can see where her daughter are very similar to what my daughter's going through. The emotion inside me, the visceral response inside me is the same as it is inside Jen. That's why it's so important for us to have these conversations so that you, the audience, realizes that you are not alone. There is a visceral emotional response from the child, from the parent, from the teacher, and from the rest of the community that interfaces with that child. Absolutely. I'm curious, Jen, have you and your daughter ever had discussions now about how she felt when she was young? I wish we'd had them when she was young. (laughs) When she was younger, she was not able to pinpoint things as well as she can now. She just struggled really hard and she didn't know why. She was heartbroken and trying to fit in and trying to make friends and just trying so hard at everything. She felt like she was failing all the time. Now, the conversations that we've had have been more positive because she's asked me for the tools that I have. And she's been able to put into practice some of them, which make her feel better and make her more able to do the things that she wants or needs to do. She is still very stressed and anxious and She recently found out that she also has glaucoma. It's very rare to be diagnosed with glaucoma when you're 25. In her case, it was a good thing that they caught it really early. She has a good prognosis, but that does not help when you're dealing already with dyslexia and dysgraphia too. There have been a lot of conversations about tools to help her. She's seeking tools. She's seeking help now, and she feels better when she gets it. But looking back on her life, she also says, She wished that somebody would have been able to pinpoint it sooner. Absolutely. I understand perfectly. My daughter is 26 going on 27 in three weeks. She struggles with ADHD and has for many years. She wouldn't talk about it for a very long time. She is now. Sherry, are you ready for Jen to share some golden nuggets about autism, ADHD, and dysgraphia, their relationships? Absolutely. Before we do, we need to introduce our sponsor. Today's podcast was brought to you by Daughter Educational Consulting. We are a holistic community-based organization that supports people with dysgraphia from the inside out. We use neuroscience and research-based content to design interventions for the whole classroom that can be completed in two minutes each day and thwart this disability. 
before it becomes a challenge, all without raising the scepter, a pencil. You can find more information about our services by downloading the app. The app is app.therightingglitch.com. That is app.therightingglitch.com. Use hashtag the writing glitch and hashtag dysgraphia awareness or tag Sherry Dodderer. We search every day for new ways to cheer you. We believe that every person is a king or queen of their own potential. Unleashing that potential starts with effective writing skills. Effective writing skills start by connecting the brain and body. Join the writing glitch community today. Jen. Tell us, how do autism, ADHD, and dysgraphia impact one another in schools? I've hinted at it already with my daughter's struggles. They are sometimes comorbid conditions, which means that you're going to find that if you have one, you also will have a tendency to have the others. But if you have autism, is comorbid with a lot of other disorders. You often see it combined with ADHD. I've seen it combined with dysgraphia. They tend to make that student's life that much harder. (laughs) You get one and then you find out, oh, I have four others that I'm adding to that pile. Pretty soon you just feel like you're a really screwed up individual. That's not the actual case, but you do need the right tools to be successful. The diagnoses can help you if you're getting new tools and you're getting new treatments for each one. For me, labels are both positive and negative. They have an upside and a downside. And the upside is you get the help you need. And the downside is you have that added stigma and that added I'm screwed up feeling. But getting the help is worth it. Our oldest daughter has Down syndrome. She could have the autism diagnosis too easily. I can say right now with certainty she has it, but we never bothered to get her that diagnosis because it doesn't get her any added supports beyond Down syndrome, beyond what she already has. But it's not helpful for her to have another one. On the other hand, my other daughter, who is just a year younger, it would have been helpful for her to know that she had ADHD and dyslexia and dysgraphia way back when. Those would have helped her, even though it might have added a little bit to her anxious feelings. It would have given her tools that would have eventually helped her feel more successful. In the long run, it would have improved how she felt about herself and about the world and about her success. And she might have actually been more successful at college and other things if she had those supports earlier. In schools, autism may affect your social expression and your understanding of social situations. It may also affect how you can express yourself in writing or understand writing. HD is going to affect your ability to focus and your ability to express yourself Clearly, I don't know how much you guys know about dysgraphia, but the things that I just listed can also be signs of dysgraphia. Those signs that cause your expression to be hindered can cause people to overlook the fact that there's something more. Dyslexia can be overlooked because of both of those other conditions. Autism and ADHD are so pervasive in your expressive ability and your ability to complete a task given to you at school, a writing task or a reading task or whatever, they affect everything. They're more pervasive. The more specific disorders may be overlooked. That's how I saw them interact at school. Absolutely. 
Sherry, I'll bet you can relate to some of the things that Jen just spoke about, right? Let's hear it. (laughs) I can definitely relate to what Jen was saying. A lot of times what I see with these kids is the ADHD interferes so much with their ability to even access writing. One of the other things that I want to mention about autism is there's this huge spectrum. We have those that may be non-functional as far as a typical classroom. And then we have those kids who are extremely high functional that are way above grade level. And it was those kids that I was seeing this gap in way that they were being addressed in the system. And they expected because they could read above grade level, they could do all this math above grade level, but some of them had this learning disability. And when I look back at the percentage of kids that were twice exceptional, we call them, they have all of these gifts, but their disability, it's writing. And so there's some disconnect between the brain and what happens with the reaction in the body. And it comes back to, it's a different neurological process. It's a different spot in the brain that is getting used to the writing. And because writing is the secondary or third area of education, it doesn't develop as fast because you need to be able to read before you even start to write. Thanks. I want to ask Jen, then, how did you support students from the autism class? Over time, have taught grades K through 12. And I started out as a language arts teacher, and I had a few students with autism. One in particular who was very high functioning, as as Sherry has mentioned, he was definitely a twice exceptional kind of guy. And he really challenged me as a teacher. He thought because he already knew the content that he could sleep through classes. And he started doing that through mine. In reality, he often felt like he couldn't do it when it came to writing. Poetry was hard for him. When we were doing our poetry unit, he slept through as much as possible. (laughs) He was a fairly aggressive individual. At times, his classmates were afraid of him. He was very big. They were worried about me when this happened, but I actually made him stay after for lunch one day. And I said, we are going to do this together. I had a couple of students say, can I go get the principal? Can, do you need help? Do you want somebody to come down here? Because that student was threatening me. He became very aggressive, kind of pushing. He wasn't like actually hitting me or anything like that. He was pushing, he was trying to get past me and he was trying to force himself by and not stay for lunch. You need to stay And we're going to talk about this and we're going to find out what the real issue is. I was just very gentle with him. And I told those other students that I was okay just to not worry about it and go on because I knew that was only going to heighten his anxiety about it. I knew there was something more. We sat down and he just said, I don't get it. It took a little while, but he finally cracked and told me he didn't get it. He didn't know how to express himself in poetry. He was a musician. He loved to sing. The connection between music and poetry was actually what eventually got him to write poetry. And the next day, it was even the next day, he came in. He was an incredibly intelligent guy. He'd put it together, wrote a poem, and came and sang it to me. I was going to ask you that. I was going to say, I bet he had to sing it 
to first, yeah. right? Rather than write it. That's really cool. What do you think, Sherry? There is this scene in Dead Poet Society where Robin Williams and Ethan Hawke are in the classroom and Ethan is supposed to write poetry and just said, I didn't do my homework. Robin Williams gets him up in the middle of class and starts him writing. Do you know what clip I'm talking about? I think I know which one you're talking about, but I'm not positive that I've ever even actually, and this is really sad for a language arts teacher. I don't think I've ever actually watched that movie all the way through. Well, don't feel bad because I have watched it maybe twice even or more, and I can't remember that particular clip. (laughs) The reason that this clip is so imperative is because one of the things that these kids need to be able to do is get into a flow state. And I am an unhackable coach as well as a dysgraphia specialist. One of the scenes that we utilize to express how to get somebody into flow is that scene. We just had to watch it in the class that I'm teaching this week. You totally had me thinking about that particular scene. If anybody out there knows that scene or doesn't know that scene, go onto YouTube and look for Robin Williams in the middle of Dead Poets Society, where they are talking about the sharp tooth madman, I think it was. I'm just so proud of you, Jen, for being able to have your student access something that was familiar, get them into that flow state so that they could engage in the classroom. Kudos. Thanks. Yeah, that's really key, Sherry. I didn't call it flow before I studied unhackable. It is that state neurologically that you need to be in to learn and to be able to be successful in output of creativity. Kids with autism, people think they're not creative or people think that they're just so literal or matter of fact that they cannot understand art. That is so untrue. So untrue. I had several artists in my middle school classroom. One of them even now is trying to become a graphic artist in college. One of them is writing. He is also wanting to be in politics. And he's advocated for people with autism at the state level already. Both of those things take creativity and an ability to express yourself. I had lots of kids who love to draw, but writing is often a heavy struggle for them. They have to be able to connect it with something that they love in order to be able to do it well. I'm going to add quick that I also know of a student who has high-functioning autism who is working for one of the senators in Pennsylvania, and he is advocating for autism awareness. It's a huge debate whether (laughs) certain disabilities need cures. I personally think that it's holding you back. If it actually is helping you to become the person that you need to be, then it doesn't. In autism, I saw The person they were because of autism was so unique and so valuable and so honest. I wouldn't change it. I think helping them appreciate what it gave them was helpful to them. I think with any disability, there's probably an upside and a downside. I want people in the world everywhere to see that, to understand that with disabilities, 
even if you have a stack of disabilities 10 miles high and people think you're never going to amount to anything, you can't work, can't take care of yourself or whatever, they may value you as less. They may think you're less valuable than another human being because you can't contribute the same kind of things. But there's always an upside and there's always, to me, a purpose for that person's life. And it is connected sometimes to their disabilities and what those disabilities can give to them and to other people. I say that knowing from my own five kids how hard it is, how hard it is to deal with kids that have disabilities and help them try to make the most of their lives and to fit in. It's such a struggle. It's so hard. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking for them too. But there is an upside. There is a purpose for their life. And there is something special about them. And their disability doesn't make them less. It just makes them different. And sometimes that difference is what the world actually really needs. Jen, Sherry told me that you own a business called the Special Needs Spa. Can you tell us about that? As a teacher, every day was so long. I would go in at 7.30 and... I would leave after 8 o'clock p.m. as a special needs teacher, as a language arts teacher. It was a little earlier, it was 5 or 6, but still we're talking 11 to 14, 15-hour days every day of the week and then homework on the weekends. I'm a mom and you throw disabilities in there too and it just ups the list of things that you have to do or take care of in your day. As a regular mom, it would have been too much. I always wanted to have more time. I said to people, I wish I could just clone myself because the time it would take me to teach someone else to do what I was doing was more time than it would take for me to do it myself. I didn't have enough time to spare to teach other people how to do it so that I could save that time. Whatever I taught somebody, I had to give that time up that day and that would make me less prepared for the next day. It just felt like a vicious cycle where if I taught somebody how to do it and then continued to coach them on how to do it, I was expending that time and investing that time in them, which was good. But I also was then less prepared until that person could come up to that level that I needed them to be independent. A special needs spa is something that I put together as another way I can help people. I am trained. (laughs) I know how to do lots of techie stuff. I was known for it at school. My parents always introduced me as there's an app for that. People were like, hey, Jen, do you know how they're like, there's an app for that. That it was a joke <laughs> because I said it so often. Like, oh, yeah, there's an app for that. Here you go. And here's how you use it. I also was able to take things and combine them together to create a support for someone. I love doing that for people. I love being able to help people and be creative with a unique situation and take all the various things that I've learned and gained from being a mom and from being a teacher and be able to say, this is a good idea. This is what's going to work for this kid. And if it doesn't, then I can still pull and say, okay, what went wrong with that? Which direction did I need to go that I didn't go and pull it together? The special needs spot is there to help other parents and caregivers and special needs teachers, gen ed teachers, and adult service providers. Anybody that works with someone who has autism or a related special need And I would include Alzheimer's in that because a lot of the visual supports that I've created for kids with autism, I was able to use with my own mother-in-law when she was living with us. And it really helped her. If you've got a need and it's related to special needs, 
I'm willing to be that clone for you. I'm willing to be the creative clone who already has the skills to use the tech and to put things together and then give you something which you can then look at and say, is this going to help me? Is this going to help my child? Is this going to help my client or not? And try it out and see, and we can come back and fix it later. I'm just that extra person who can save you some time and sanity. Jen, you always inspire me. You always have from the day we've met. And you have also been a coach for me. I love working with you, Sherry. And I've learned so much from you. Thank you. I think it's so cool the way you two have grown from helping each other and just inspiring each other, learning all these cool ways to help students and to help people in general. It's really inspiring. Sherry, we're at the time in our podcast when we need to leave an intervention. In each episode of the podcast, we share an intervention that helps teachers, parents, and occupational speech therapists with their students. Jen or Sherry, do you have an intervention that a teacher could use here in the whole classroom? My implementations require visuals that are in place that you would be able to point at. And one that I would suggest that works for whole classes is a schedule of your day being on that student's desk. Individual students having just a short list on their desk that they can cross it off. For some students, maybe they need to be able to flip it over when they're done with each item for the day. But you would be amazed how much anxiety that can relieve and how many disorders that can help. I'm going to bump off that a little bit and talk a little bit about what's going on neurologically. When a kiddo is looking up at the board and then looking back down at their paper, they're activating their vestibular system. If it is an immature system developmentally, these kids with autism and ADHD, moving your head up and down can throw it off. You get lost. You don't know what you're doing. By having that on the desk that they don't have to look up will help keep their sense of body and mind and self more centered. Jen, that is a fabulous idea. I understand that you also have a really cool freebie that you wanted to share. I don't know if it's really cool, but it might save some people some time. If you don't know how to put form fields in the document, I do. And I have created it for one in middle school, but then I adapted it for one in elementary because we were using the Foursquare writing method with the elementary kids. If you've never heard of that, look it up. There's a couple books. They're really good. This writing organizer can be used with that system. The four square organizer actually has five squares and mine is called the five square. So don't get confused. It's the same thing. I've just made five big squares because kids with autism count the squares. I had to call it five squares. Okay. Because they count and they're like, no, there's five. (laughs) Yes, there are in fact five. Now it's five square, but we're using the four square writing method with it. Adults try to wrap your minds around that one, but it's the same thing. And What I did was I created a document. I've actually created two documents for you. One of them is a PDF that's editable and one of them is a Word document. What you're going to want to do is download it and make a copy so that you have a template that you can create other copies from for each new time the student uses it. And I would have the student make their own template copy. So you've got a backup template copy and the student can be independent. Hopefully it depends on their age. The student can then be independent in making their own copies. This can be used on an iPad or a computer. 
for dictation. When you have a student who has dysgraphia, which in this case, both of these guys did, they also had an incredible amount of anxiety and kind of a mental block against writing. And this helped them get past it. Some people look at it as a crutch. They look at it as I just took away the part that people are trying to teach them, the writing. But writing is about expression. It's not just about putting the pencil on the paper. It's about getting out what's inside of you onto a format where other people can then read it or experience it. The first step is to get it out. And then you can write and you can work with the handwriting skills or whatever you need to work on separately from the expression piece at first. What I had them do was dictate whatever assignment it was. We were using the Foursquare Organizer method. And in that, you put your main topic in the center and you have four squares around it that you're going to put details and a summary in eventually. It starts out by working the student up from just the Sesame Street, which one does not belong exercise. You actually give them the pictures. You have a category picture in the middle, fish or whatever, animal. Maybe it's broad, so it's easy to put things in it. So if you said animal in the center, then around the outside, you would actually just put four different animals. To start with a lower functioning or a really young student, I would put three animals and a pencil or an apple or something that's not an animal in the other box and ask them to identify which one does not belong. And you can work up from there. And the four square books that you can find online, they're very cheap on Amazon, work you up actually from that step all the way to in the second book, you're writing five paragraph essays with the same organizer. And you can also connect it to writing stories. It's a very versatile organizer. I love it. I love it because you don't have to keep switching organizers on the student because every new organizer is another thing they have to remember how to use. And it's useless in the end to have 50 organizers. You need one organizational system that's going to be very flexible in my mind. When I write, I have one tool. I use one tool. (laughs) Do not use 50 tools to plan my novel. I have one way that works for me and I use that. The organizer that I'm giving you may not work for every single student in the world for every single writing task, but it is going to be very flexible and work for a lot of kids and a lot of tasks. One thing I like about it, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Jen, but one thing I absolutely love about it is expandable. One of the things about graphic organizers, the kids with autism, high-level autism and ADHD, and kids with dysgraphia, have a difficulty because they want to write bigger, the digital version expands where you're learning how to write without the confines of a space. You're learning how to organize without the confines of that short little space. Sometimes it's really hard to learn how to summarize before you learn how to express. (laughs) Guys that are wordy like me, they want to put more in that box than what fits in that box, especially in their handwriting. If it's big and kind of clunky handwriting, if they've got dysgraphia, then it's not going to get a lot into that box. But if you are dictating your thoughts into that box, it might get pretty big. The word version will expand and it actually moves the box bigger as you dictate. It will get ugly if you print it from there, but you may not need to print it at all because you can copy and paste into a Word document in the correct order and then edit it from there. And that's what I would suggest. 
That's how I had my students do it is to copy and paste whatever was in the organizer into a Word or Google Doc. And then we edited from there. And it was always then in the correct order of what they wanted to say. You had your, what was supposed to be your main topic and you had your details and your summary all in the correct order. You might have to cut it down. You might have to add some, but at least the organization piece is there. In the PDF version, it will work a little bit differently. In the PDF version, when you dictate, it is not going to expand the box on the actual page. If you print it, you're only going to see a portion of what they dictated. However, everything that they dictate into that box will be in that box. It will just continue to scroll. On the PDF version especially, you're going to want to copy and paste. The PDF version is a little prettier than the Word version. So you can pick which one's going to work for you. The other thing I would say about it is the Word version is going to be a one-click and use. You can also use an audio version and record what they're talking about. For our listeners, the link specialneedsspa.com front slash writing glitch. I'm going to spell it out. S-P-E-C-I-A-L-N-E-D-P-A dot com front slash W-R-I-T-I-N-G-L-I-T-C-H. I'm actually really looking forward to it myself because it sounds like something that adults, not just students, actually could use. Definitely could. If you want a writing organizer and that's that kind that has the four boxes for the details and the summary and the main idea in the center, then by all means, yes. I can also create a different kind of organizer with form fields in it so you can dictate if you so desire on the special needs spot. If there's something you want and it's not that organizer, but it's similar, just let me know and I'd be happy to customize it for you. Basically what kids can do with it then is on an iPad, which is how I gave it to them. It's a lot easier than the computer for a lot of them. I'd open up this organizer, they tap on the box and then tap on the microphone and they're able to dictate. And then they just tap again to quit. There comes to be a frustration for some kids who don't dictate clearly. And it's a learning process for the iPad or the device they're using and for them on how to dictate clearly and how to get the words that they want to appear. There will be some frustration when you first start working with a student with dictation because the dictation program has to learn how to listen to them and they have to learn how to use the dictation program. There is that clunkiness at the start and you have to talk them through it and say, it will get better. We just have to be patient for right now and keep on doing it until it gets it right and until we're able to figure out how to make it do it right. Awesome. Thank you so much. This has been Jan Orkut, along with Sherry Dodderer, dysgraphia expert of The Writing Glitch. We have been interviewing Jennifer Porter about life as a parent of children with ADHD and a teacher in an autism classroom. Jen, tell our audiences where they can find out more about you. You can find me on specialneedspa.com. It's specialneedspa.com. There's no the in the address, but it's called the Special Needs Spa. You can find me there if you want the teacher side of me. If you want to know what I write as far as novels, it's jenporterauthor.com. So those are my two websites. So you can find and learn more about me and find out how to contact me if you want to. Thank you so much. It's been really illuminating. It's been inspiring too. Thanks again. Our podcast releases on the second and fourth Tuesday of each month during the school year. Remember to use hashtag the writing glitch when sharing our episodes so we can thank you. Join the writing community today. 
www.apptherwritingglitch.com. That's www.apptherwritingglitch.com. Remember, you were put here for such a time as this. Transform the classroom before raising the scepter, pencil, to unleash students' potential. Episode music is brought to you by Pavel Yudin. Post-production is completed by Sam C. Productions. Write a review where you listen to this podcast. Thanks for joining us. Have a great week. See you in two weeks.